I V M. Hey Raghavi, mm-hmm. what does democracy mean to mm-hmm. you? No, I know. I knew where you're going with this. Nope. No, 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 no. I'm not answering that question. We'll talk about something else. So, should we just go to the episode? Yes, that's a brilliant idea. Have you ever wondered why women don't do more crime? Well, we're here to tell you. There's misconduct all the time. Women are thieves and murderers. That's gross misconduct. Con artists, money launderers. Hmm, criminal misconduct. Financial fraud that's hard to track. Take some planning, but still misconduct. Even breaching a contract. That's more civil though. Misconduct. Misconduct. We tell you all about women that suck. Things that make you say, "What the?" It's misconduct. Hello, 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 and welcome to Misconduct. We are a podcast about female criminals. I am Raghvi, and I am Nisha. And on today's episode, we are talking about Narmada Akka. Mm-hmm. Narmada Akka was one of the senior most female cadres of the Communist Party of India, Maoist, not to be confused with the Communist Party in other states that are currently politically active. Mm-hmm. Narmada Akka was one of the public faces of the banned Maoist Communist Party, which is marked by the Ministry of Home Affairs as an insurgent group. She was one of the central members of the party and she was considered to be responsible for framing policies, guidelines for all of the female members of the People's Liberation Guerrilla Army or the PLGA. That's right. So the PLGA and we'll elaborate on this a little bit later, it is the armed wing of the Maoist party. So the members of the PLGA are considered to be extremely dangerous and armed and sort of considered, you know, extremely critical threats by the Indian government, uh, mm-hmm. primarily because their eventual aim is to overthrow the Indian government through a people's war regardless of how violent it may get. Now, Narmada is alleged to have joined the Maoist movement at the age of 18 years old and throughout her life, she acted as a senior communications agent for the movement and was kind of the encouraging element for young women to take up arms to fight for the cause. It is likely that she may have died around 2012, sometime in her mid-50s. Mm-hmm. However, her death was kind of shrouded in a bit of mystery and confusion because reports emerged over a decade after her death about her still being around. Yep. But one thing we can deny is how many Maoist soldiers and leaders have looked up to her as the face of the Maoist mm. revolution. And her face, her voice, her actions, they basically pushed a generation of women in eastern India towards embracing what became a very violent movement. So before we start, we would like you to take the disclaimer for this episode a bit more seriously. This episode will contain descriptions of violent acts committed by Indian Maoists, including retaliation and management efforts by the Indian government. There are also references to the political nature of the violence and the Maoist movement, which we implore you to read more about to get a better understanding of the movement in India. This episode cannot cover the bloody history of the Maoist movement in less than an hour and neither should you expect us to. Our research is limited to a brief background on the Maoist movement and what we can find on the life of Narmada Akka. You are absolutely free to come to your own conclusions and opinions regarding the movement based on your own readings. Mm -hmm. We will cover only publicly available information and data that is confirmed by the Indian government or other publications. We do not intend to take any political position on this podcast Mm -hmm. as this is not our intention or agenda. We are here to tell you about a woman 
who has been labeled as a violent criminal and of course this podcast is not meant for children listener discretion is advised thank you nisha so we'd like to start this episode with a little bit of context to what maoism really is and you will need this to understand why maoist leaders are so feared in india and why the indian government also considers them dangerous now maoism in a very broad sense is a form of communist ideology that's kind of rooted in china's modern political social and agricultural systems so mm-hmm. the last chinese imperial king dynasty it fell around 1911 and suddenly there was a kind of like a vacuum in the political and social landscape and the chinese people were kind of left wondering you know do we fall back to old traditions you know the teachings of confucius mm. or do we try to forge something new and different something we haven't tried before right and that's when a leader called mao zedong came into the forefront he's basically a revolutionary leader in china with a very anti imperialist and anti west agenda which makes mm-hmm. sense for the 1900s in china and yeah. he wanted a china that was not just free of traditional practices but one that focused on the people and their ability to participate in the overall mm-hmm. economic and political activities of the country now he was heavily influenced by the ideology of karl marx or marxism as we know it today um very very simply and very crudely put marxism is basically a push for common ownership of land and resources meaning those who hold land or resources in a concentrated way like the aristocracy you take it from them and give it to the people mm-hmm. now marxism also pushed for the complete absence of social classes no wealth concentration state intervention at a minimal just basically saying the people have to take yeah. care of everything and the idea was that the people of the country irrespective of who they were what their birth was none of that stuff would matter they should be treated equally and participate freely with the country all very idealistic sort of ideas yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it, this is a very moral way to think about common people mm-hmm. but what we often forget when it comes to such optimistic ideologies like this it's that the people in power do not want it to go away yeah That's right. Do you think the French kings and queens were like, "Yes, peasants, come, <laughs> please come, take our things, our laces, our pearls, our cattle, our lands"? My my French is <laughs> yeah. dying, but yeah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> So the so-called peasants obviously had to fight for their freedom. They had mm-hmm. to take up arms, run out into the streets, riot and loot, mm-hmm. and then they dragged King Louis and Marie Antoinette onto a pedestal and chopped off their heads like they were just <laughs> culling a bunch of rabid dogs. That's so rooted. yeah, all of this is rooted in a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Now Mao Zedong's idea of communism is picked up from Marxism, but with some changes. Right. For one, Marxism. focused on the industrial class rising against aristocracy but china had more farmers than workers hmm. so their revolution would be less about seizing the means of production mm-hmm. and more about collectivization of agriculture okay but to acquire land that the aristocrats held was much more difficult hmm. which is where maoism starts to focus on local agricultural population becoming insurgents okay So in a very very crude way we are not doing justice to this mm-hmm. we can say that while maoism was basically the same as marxism leninism or any other form of communism that blossomed around this time mm-hmm. only that maoism encouraged the local farming folks to pick up arms and take back their land ah by the way maoism sort of reminds me not related to maoism at all but i saw a very cute t-shirt in thailand once it had a picture okay. of a cat and wearing maos Like Mao Zedong's usual attire, his uniform, and mm-hmm. it said "Meow Zedong." Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cute. So I should have bought it. You should have. Although yeah. I don't know. I don't But know congratulations, that. everyone! Uh, you have heard the one joke. <laughs>
that we will have on this episode. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now let's take a minute to understand how India looks at Maoism. This is a little mm-hmm. rough, but oh, hang on there. So as a concept, it's pretty simple. Ma- you know, Maoism is, like we said, a communist ideology that pushes for people to own everything, resources, all of it, land, and equally distribute it amongst themselves. But the communist revolution in certain parts of India is a much more violent one, more along the lines of what Mao Zedong had originally advocated. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the Communist Party of India, Maoist, comes in, or the CPIM. It's founded on 21st September 2004 as an amalgamation of a few smaller Marxist-Leninist-leaning political parties, all of which sort of use names such as Maoist or Naxalist. Now, the term Naxalist is particularly important because it originates from this town called Naxalbari in West Bengal, where the first armed peasant uprising happened in 1967. Uh, About 150 farmers took up bows and arrows and they started seizing land and paddy after a lot of political and social disagreements that they had with the state. So today, the CPIM party operates sort of in the forest belt that forms the Indian states of Chhattisgarh, Bihar, Jharkhand, Maharashtra and Orissa. And it's also sort of you know, in smaller sections in Andhra Pradesh and in, in Andhra Pradesh as well. Now, that's kind of where it's localized, but mm-hmm. its activities are a lot more widespread overall. Yeah. So the CPIM has a website where they've listed their overall mission. In their About Us section, it says, and we quote, the party has sought to independently apply Marxism-Leninism to Indian conditions and to work out the strategy and tactics for a people's democratic revolution, which can transform the lives of the Indian people. The CPIM is engaged in bringing about this basic transformation by carrying out a program to end imperialist, big bourgeois and land exploitation. That looks pretty decent so far, right? Mm -hmm. But all is not what it seems on paper. Yeah. So remember the PLGA or the People's Liberation Guerrilla Army that we mentioned earlier in our intro? Mm -hmm. So that is the armed wing of the CPIM that has been responsible for the more violent means and processes of the party to occupy and procure land for themselves. Mm -hmm. As of the mid-2010s, it's reported that the PLGA has about 7,000 to 9,000 cadres all equipped with small arms. Due to clashes between the cadres and the Indian armed forces since the PLGA's accession, it is estimated that about 13,000 people have died. This is, however, a number presuming evidence of killings. It is unknown how many more civilians perished in the clashes. It is also not known how many civilians died at the hands of the Naxals, who often conducted kangaroo courts to just summarily execute people. That's right. So now we won't go into too much detail about how the CPIM is structured or it operates, uh, you guys should definitely read up on it. It's very Mm -hmm. interesting and it throws a lot of light into the movement overall. But we do want to highlight how the Indian government looks at the CPIM, the PLGA Mm. and all of their activities. In October 2006, after the CPIM started gaining some traction, the Indian Ministry of Home Affairs eventually set up what is now called the Left Wing Extremism Division. Now, this division was set up to address, in their words, the left wing extremist insurgency in a holistic manner. And this was because in the mid-2000s, there were multiple incidents of Maoist leaders being involved in violent and often savage incidents, mostly you know, using capture and killings of the Indian armed forces and policemen. Now, this division was supposed to work with various state governments you know, to understand their individual challenges in relation to Maoist activities and work towards implementing appropriate countermeasures for it. 
So the division calls out the following on its website. It states that some sections of society, especially younger generations, have romantic illusions about the Maoists, which arises in an incomplete understanding of their ideology. It also states clearly that the central theme of the Maoist movement is violence and the glorification of that violence. So the MHA page also calls out the PLGA as a dangerous entity that resorts to guerrilla warfare that kills lower level government officials, police personnel, workers of mainstream political parties and representatives of local panchayat systems. Mm-hmm. The division asserts that by these killings the PLGA creates a power vacuum in the localities then it fills it up with its own people. It also highlights that propaganda is a major part of their communication and hiring strategy. That's right. And lastly, and this is pretty relevant, the division states that the Maoists use terms like displacement of tribals, corporate exploitation, and human rights violation by security forces. These sorts of terms in their propaganda, in particular. Now, the division believes that this leads to some sort of fantastic claims about their movement that even the mainstream media picks up. That's one of the concerns that the division has. Uh, this is, you know, the last of the overview provided by the division, and we want to quote this for you. In a nutshell, the CPI Maoists, the main LWE outfit in India, aims to overthrow the existing democratic state structure with violence as their primary weapon and mass mobilization in strategic united fronts as complementary components and plans to usher in so-called new democratic revolution in India. So this is pretty clear as to how the Indian government sees Maoist mm-hmm. and you know Naxal folks. Now the division also states that the only way to address the Maoist violence is to take a combined development and security approach to it overall. And the division also makes it clear that they will not accept any movement by the people that targets and bombs things like school buildings, roads, mm. railways, bridges, health infrastructure, communications facilities and stuff like that, which is the kind of stuff that the Maoists and Naxals actually sort of target. So in short, the division considers the Maoists as a setback to the democratic systems of India and urges civil society to understand that violence is not the way to pursue grievance redressal. This is just the tip of the iceberg in what the Indian government has to say about the Maoist movement and its mm-hmm. categorization as an insurgent group. At this point, we request you to read more about this on the website of the Ministry of Home Affairs. Mm-hmm. To keep things easy, the MHA has put out a set of FAQs as well. It's a very informative read. That's right. And on that note, let's take a little bit of a break before we come back to speak about Anabadaka, her position in the Maoist movement and what she did. Welcome back, everyone. After the break, we've said a lot of context about the CPIM and how the government views it. So let's talk about Narmada Akka, right? So Narmada was likely born around 1957 based on various newspaper articles that reference this. Mm -hmm. For example, an Indian Express article from 2009 lists her as being 52 years old. So we just did some maths. Mm -hmm. Uh, She hails from Andhra Pradesh, although her exact birthplace is not known. Some publications say that she was born in the town of Guntur, Mm -hmm. but we are unable to verify that because we don't know what kind of chicken she may have liked. Uh, Is that a Guntur chicken joke? Yes. Okay, scraping the bottom of the barrel, but now we have two jokes in this episode. Yay! (laughs) 
So it is said that Narmada was well educated over the course of her childhood and her father in particular focused on her education. Even though she dropped out of college around the age of 18, she is known to have great command over at least 7 languages including English. So her father who was a very ardent supporter of communist ideology influenced her around this time to join the radical leftists. Yes that's right. So there's an interview with Rahul Pandita and Vanessa the latter being a journalist who appears to be using a pseudonym. Uh, in this interview Narmada Akka is quoted as saying that her father was a communist and in her father's time communists were kind of treated as outsiders. Uh, she also spoke about how her father regarded Naxals as you know the kind of people who Uh, and we quote have broken away from the shackles of domesticity so clearly her father was a really big influence over her and her eventual political and social ideologies yeah and this mm-hmm. interview is very relevant no one knows exactly when it was conducted but it was published in open magazine on 16 september 2010 mm-hmm. in this interview two journalists followed narmada in, into the jungle at an unknown location mm-hmm. interacted with her platoons and spoke with her personally Yeah we'll actually be using this article quite a bit to give you some more background about who Narmada herself was. Aside from this Narmada was also appointed as the chief of the Krantikari Adivasi Mahila Sangathan a now banned women's organization whose aim was to end the exploitation and oppression faced by Adivasi women. Mm-hmm. So sources say that it was the biggest women's organization in India at the time with membership of about 90,000 women which is wow. Yep. Yeah. So over the next 30 years of her life she would spend her time in the jungles of Chhattisgarh learning the ropes and climbing the leadership ladder to with her fellow Maoists. That's right. And actually around this time the leadership in the Maoists were largely men. So Maoists. it meant that it was a little difficult for women to really join the cause or mm-hmm. get them to join the cause even. Um eventually after the death of another leader Narmada was appointed as the divisional secretary of the South Gachiroli division in the state. Now over time she was made a member of the central committee and reportedly used to frame policies for joining and for the well-being of female cadres to the party so this ended up putting her in one of the highest positions in the party overall oh also in the middle of all of this narmada would go on to marry sudhakar alias kiran mm-hmm. who was also a senior maoist leader that worked with the publication division that's right and that put her effectively in the propaganda space as well mm-hmm. so narmada's work would set her up as a leader of five different platoons and they They were basically these aggressive military forces within the division and her platoons were equipped with modern arms and ammunition and the latest in communication networks all with the intention of countering existing state machinery now let's take a few minutes to run through some interesting points about narmada from the open magazine interview one thing that really struck out to me is the fact that the journalists that conducted the interview often like they describe narmada's platoon as constantly being busy and con- like always on the move mm. and they clarify later that this was mostly due to how often police raids were carried out in the villages in the area because they were constantly trying to find information regarding maoist leaders so narmada and all her platoons had to be on their feet just about all the time mm. Mm-hmm. Another thing that stands out in the interview is that Narmada Akka acts as a translator for the Adivasis in the villages that they live. Mm-hmm. So she takes questions from the journalists, translates them to their local languages and waits for an answer from the Adivasis. It almost feels like she was using the interview to shed light on the conditions of the Adivasi and not really focusing on herself. Right, that's interesting. I mean, now that you mentioned one of the examples that I remembered was the you know basically one of the journalists had asked if there are any schools in the village and Narmada mm-hmm. doesn't answer she directs the 
you know, question to a child nearby. And the mm. child immediately answers in the negative and just starts laughing like as if it's a big joke, you know. Right. And coming from the mouth of a child, you know, when the yeah. child says there are no schools or teachers nearby, that packs a much bigger punch than if Narmada herself would have said it. So we can say with some confidence that Narmada Akka used her experience in language and her exposure to the publication division of the party. Mm-hmm. She seems to have approached this interview with a PR perspective in mind, which is, I mean, I respect that part. I get it. I mean, if she is effectively the communications leader, yeah. that's what she's got to do. Now, the interview also focuses on something a little disturbing. It talks about the female children and cadres that lived with Narmada. Mm. There are glimpses of a lot of young girls with AK-47s, as specifically mentioned by the journalists in that article. Um, it's alleged that all of the girls in the village can definitely read and write, thanks to Narmada's work, but they can also assemble a gun within seconds. And all of this is attributed to how Narmada has, you know, sort of taken the lead in those villages. As cool as it may be to know how to assemble a gun, I don't yeah. think... Uh, as children. Being school children yeah. is the right age for not, that. Not even, you say yeah. I don't think, but yeah. Yeah. not even remotely. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. So, uh, plus also, I mean, owning a gun comes with a lot of like responsibility that you have to take and it's just, oh, yeah. oh my God. It's not anyway. just about uh, just owning and holding and using it. You got to keep yeah. it away, safe. Yeah. You know, safe. like there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Being a responsible gun owner is difficult and most adults, as we have seen all of the yep. US handle, cannot do it right. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Now, There are a lot of small and large-scale attacks and violence that Narmada has been associated with. Mm -hmm. One of these includes a May 2013 attack in Chhattisgarh that resulted in the death of 24 people and 33 injuries. Another attack in Odisha causes the death of a polling supervisor. Maoist insurgents have been known to attack polling stations and election officials in particular. In April 2017, a police convoy of 25 was attacked and killed. These are just a few of dozen of incidents that have been linked back to Narmada and her platoons. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's likely that between 50 to 100 FIRs have been filed against her mm-hmm. between Chhattisgarh to Maharashtra. Wow. All right. But the most deadly of the attacks that she was involved in is the Gachiroli bombing. On 1st May 2019, a landmine allegedly placed by the Maoists killed 15 Indian policemen and a civilian driver in Gachiroli city in the state of Maharashtra. A senior Maharashtra police official told Al Jazeera News that the rebels triggered an improvised explosive device, IED blast. The police blame the Maoists specifically because they were apparently common in the area. Mm -hmm. We haven't actually found any specific numbers to confirm this. However, a lot of this information is also classified and we likely can't access it at all. This attack started with the Maoists allegedly setting some police vehicles on fire. When the police officers arrived at the scene to investigate, they were ambushed and attacked. The attack was condemned across the nation, with the Prime Minister issuing a statement as well. The director of police at the time, Subodh Jaiswal, said that the Maoists were involved and, we quote, they want to overthrow the state established by the Constitution of India. We are very firm in our belief that they need to be dealt with the full power of the state behind us. Whether it's a retaliation or not is of not of much consequence to us. What is important is that we lost 15 of our colleagues who have made the supreme sacrifice and for us, this is a very grievous loss. When this attack happened, about 90 districts across 11 Indian states were affected by some form of Naxal or Maoist militancy. Mm-hmm. Some publications alleged that Narmada and her cadres were responsible for the death of more than 120 police officers since 1994. 
So the Gachiroli attack resulted in an immediate 2.5 million rupee bounty being placed mm-hmm. on each of Narmada, her husband, and about 14 other Maoist leaders suspected to have participated in the attack. Mm-hmm. The government's response was strong and aggressive. That's right, but this information does clash a little bit with some of the other accounts that we've read. Mm-hmm. It was alleged in some publications that Narmada had effectively stepped away from coordinating attacks sometime in 2019 itself, mostly mm-hmm. due to her failing health. So by this time, she was probably likely in her mid 60s, and it was also reported that she was diagnosed with cancer and she had to step out of the jungles often to receive treatment. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she handed over the reins to a leader named Prabhakar, but a lot of this is. not very clear there is a little bit of blurry haziness around all of this and like nisha said a lot of this is classified information mm-hmm. and we likely will never get access to it but this doesn't change the fact that this entire situation could have been initiated by her and just carried out by the rest of her platoons but mm-hmm. yeah essentially due to health problems it was said that she wasn't taking part in any of the attacks so that about sums up everything that we know from the public domain that's on narmadaka and her alleged activities so on that note let's take a break and when we come back we'll find out where is she now Welcome back everyone after the break. So let's jump into uh what where exactly Narmadaka is. So on 27 December 2012, mm-hmm. multiple news reports stated that Narmadaka had been shot and killed in an encounter by a police party that was performing a routine patrol. Mm-hmm. She was reportedly shot in a village in the state of Chhattisgarh. According to reports about 4 to 5 other insurgents were shot in an hour long encounter as mm-hmm. confirmed by the superintendent of police of Gachiroli district. However, the police were not entirely sure that it was her. Mm-hmm. The superintendent of police gave a statement that a female body was carried away from the scene by the Naxalites. Okay. So, it largely appears that intelligence sources were the ones to quote unquote confirm that Narmadaka was the one who was killed. The newspapers also confirmed that she was likely buried near Malbada tribal village in Chhattisgarh itself. Okay. The incident was reported to have occurred on 4th December 2012 itself, mm-hmm. but it appears the newspapers waited a bit to confirm that it was her. Okay. So she was likely have been in her late, late 50s when this occurred. Mm-hmm. However, no one mm-hmm. from the Maoist faction seemed to have reached out to the press to confirm this. In oh. fact, there was no word at all on the death of such a major leader in the movement one okay. who was essentially instrumental in mobilizing women in chatisgarh for the cause right but this news just died down after a while and no one really questioned it that's a little odd somebody yeah. should have questioned it because 6 years later half a dozen maoist leaders were killed in an encounter in april 2018 in the state of maharashtra and one of the men that was killed was shrinath mm-hmm. who was reportedly a very senior high ranking member in the group now it turns out this killing was instrumental in bringing a hidden maoist leader out from the woodwork nisha can you guess who it was hmm i wonder if will you give me a million dollars if i guess mm-hmm. yeah okay fine how about a cat i have to <laughs> That works, okay. right? But you have to dress it up in Chairman Mao's attire, and yeah, that's I'm already yes. ready. <laughs> okay, was it Narmadaka? <laughs> yes, it was indeed Narmadaka. 
Yay! And she started becoming a little more active after the death of Srinath. And unfortunately, though, a little after the Gachiroli bombing in June 2019, Narmada Akka and her husband Kiran were arrested in Hyderabad by the local police and taken into custody. Now, she was not arrested in the process of doing something illegal per se. It was actually reported that with the help of the Telangana police, there was a team from the Gachiroli police station that laid a trap at the hospital where Narmada was supposed to have mm. been receiving chemotherapy. So the moment the two of them, Narmada and her husband, arrived at the hospital, they were immediately arrested and their identities were verified. They were brought to Gachiroli and interrogated over the attack that happened in 2019 and they were pushed by the police to give up their aids. But it does not appear that they gave up any further names. This arrest story also is not really verified because again, all of this is classified intelligence. We're mm-hmm. just hoping, you know, the newspapers are given the right reports so they're listening to the right people and getting this information but we're reporting to you what we see from the newspapers but anyway an alleged criminal woman who was previously presumed to be dead was now mm-hmm. caught but this time they were like 100% sure it was her, mm-hmm, mostly mm-hmm. like like 95% like pretty sure Maybe mm-hmm. like 90.75. You, but it's a lot. They were very sure. They were very sure. We don't have to put a number on it. Sure. Yes. Is how we'll go with it. But in any case, the police announced it. They said, hey, we've caught her and her husband. But surprisingly, mm-hmm. no newspapers questioned what the hell was going on. Ideally, they would have been like, uh, six years ago, we mm-hmm. thought she was dead. Yes. And the thing is, most like your newspapers didn't even report on the arrest. We found mm-hmm. very few of them. And the only sources of this were actually Marathi news snippets that I saw on YouTube. Mm. And I had to rely very heavily on the translation <laughs> the, for it yeah. to be able to be sure. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, her face was on. Closed it. captions. <laughs> yeah. Her face was on the report, like in, in the video, so I could make out. But otherwise, I would have just not known that she yeah. was arrested at all. So there was zero national media coverage regarding the overall arrest. No arrest. So after her arrest around September 2021, it was discovered that Narmada suffered from stage 4 of cancer with several skeletal and lung metastasis. She moved the Bombay High Court to be released into palliative care due to cancer that was ravaging her body. On 9th September 2021, she was granted this request by the court. Oh, but before she was granted this request, this was definitely opposed by the Maharashtra mm-hmm. government at the time. So the public prosecutor, Sangeeta Shinde, she argued that Narmada was given appropriate care while she was in prison and she was constantly mm. taken to the Tata Memorial Hospital for treatment. So they didn't feel any need to have to release her into palliative care. Mm. The prosecutor also alleged that Narmada was completely capable of walking around herself and didn't actually need additional care. So there was quite a bit of resistance from the Maharashtra government to transfer her out of the jail to begin with. So her health continues to get worse from 2022 and she Mm -hmm. passed away in custody on 18th April 2022. After her death, the Maoists that followed her announced the closure of the Dandakaranya Band of South Chhattisgarh Mm -hmm. and all activities were seized as of 25th April 2022. Mm. So in her late 60s by this point, Narmada's demise created a major void in Naxal leadership. In time, they put out statements blaming the government for her death. Mm -hmm. They also alleged that she was not treated well in prison and at the hospital being denied appropriate medicines and treatment. Mm -hmm. It was also alleged that she was often kept in a crammed cell where she had to sleep on the floor and had no access to basic amenities such as mattress or hot water. According to a Maoist spokesperson, it is alleged that over a hundred fake cases were filed against her Mm -hmm. and the government proceeded to arrest her on false charges. These allegations have not been proved as far as we understand. So, of course, this dip in the Maoist leadership 
did come with some good news we can say mm-hmm. with regards to the maoist insurgency specifically it appears that the violent acts have been gradually lessening over time so mm-hmm. the indian government confirmed in september 2022 that there's been a 39% decrease in left wing extremist violence mm-hmm. uh, this has also resulted in a 26% reduction in deaths of security personnel which was a huge issue especially yeah. in the 2000s is also about a 44% drop in civilian casualties which is mm. thank god because yeah. no innocent should have to die in this process right this data is for the period of 2018 to 2020 and the ministry okay. of home affairs has stated that this reduction in maoist violence can be attributed to the central government's policy of absolutely no tolerance so over the years mm-hmm. basically permanent armed forces have been posted in all these areas to protect mm-hmm. civilians and that's the kind of aggressive position that the central government has taken now there is a lot to be said here from a humanitarian perspective because it's not as easy as good or bad black or white mm-hmm. it's really yep. not that simple here there are many supporters of the ideology of the cpim party because their core belief rests in the fact that local tribal populations of many states have not mm-hmm. been able to exercise their rights of free use especially resources that they've enjoyed for generations right mm. and that's a valid reason to have but there's a significant number of supporters of the CPIM that also support the insurgents and mm. many of them feel that the violence is necessary for a future with some clarity for the tribal folk so there are others that support the maoist ideology but cannot come to terms with the violence that it involves that's fair as well that's yeah. just how it works right and then of course there are people like narmadaka who kind of embody a bit of all of it because mm-hmm. when you see especially the interview that was conducted with her yeah. you know there is some vague empathy that she exhibits she doesn't come off as someone particularly cold and standoffish or you know mm-hmm. someone who is purely evil and she does not want to see civilians hurt hmm. but there is a duality there because sometimes she does also see civilian death as just casualties like collateral damage yes like just collateral hmm. damage and it's kind of all over the place and this part of narmadaka the part that sees civilians as disposable in some parts that's mm-hmm. not something we can sympathize with in any way yeah so to drag a bunch of innocents to use them effectively as shields against law enforcement mm-hmm. those are the kind of acts that un war conventions oppose yeah it's the kind of stuff that cheapens human life almost makes it disposable in a way in a pursuit of a so called greater good that's right so with that in mind it makes it extremely difficult for us with any sense of humanity to mm-hmm. say that women like nabadaka can be taken seriously because the means of achieving the ends are still extremely yep. violent so sometimes you have to make things a bit black and white maybe and mm-hmm. i feel this might be one of those situations it reminds me of the hunger games How like so? right towards the end mm-hmm. so they have a pre- like a pre- president of the revolution mm-hmm. who basically like towards the end of the battle like the the dictator king has already kind of president has already given up right okay. and he invites uh, the people left in the capital to come towards his building mm-hmm. and he basically says oh send all your children forward so let them come in first and then we'll like bring everyone else in and then bombs are dropped on them right <gasps> so initially everyone thinks that it was the the dictator king's doing but it wasn't it was a rebellion president's oh. doing because she wanted the last of the forces to turn against the dictator king so it kind of Oof. gives me that that feeling of like and e- even in the movie she rationalizes it as you know we need to do it for 
the greater good and and what does it matter there anyway the capital's children they are the ones who were oppressing us for so long and things like that oh so yeah that's the thing that katniss everdeen does not stand for and uh, yeah i guess neither do we nope not at all but there is one thing i want to point out here that nisha referenced a movie that i have not watched before <laughs> oh my god yeah Are you i watched serious? i watched the first hunger games and then i was just like i think jennifer lawrence is not remotely charismatic actually so, okay yeah fair but but that's because katniss everdeen is not charismatic sure maybe yeah. it's possibly that also but here we are in our most sober episode that we have <laughs> ever put out nisha yes. has bested me yes <laughs> To be fair, I just saw it like two weekends back. So. Okay, you don't have to say that. You had the upper hand. Why would you do this to us? Well, I read the books. I read the books like when I was a kid. So I guess that's okay. Oh, fine. Congrats. You yeah. can read. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this episode. And mm-hmm. uh, before we sort of sign off, this is something that we wanted to, you know, we put out in a couple of other episodes and we just wanted to bring this up again. Um, in the next few weeks, you were thinking we will put out some sort of a feeler on our Instagram page to ask if any of you folks want to come hang out with us to discuss mm-hmm. true crime stuff. And this is not specific to the podcast itself. We just want to know what's happening in the true crime space. And if you're in Bangalore, please come hang out with us and we can figure out what's happening in the space. Yeah, I mean, we are constantly getting like DMs and comments on our Insta page of people suggesting women that we should cover, stuff that they've come across, articles, just like ways to build a community over here so yeah. yeah if you're if you're here in bangalore it can only be in bangalore right now because yes. we broke but <laughs> <laughs> we will try to find an easy to access cafe or like community center or something yeah. like that and then just we'll find out if you're interested let's catch up for a for a coffee or something yeah and uh, we will let you discuss men who are criminals <gasps> if you want to will we though we should Fine. i mean <laughs> come on there's like there 50% of us or in india i guess i don't know 75 i don't know how the sex ratio works here it's quite bad as far as i understand when, yeah, when was the last time we did a census like 2003 oh not it's still bad. it's still a lot from since it's 2011 way too much a lot of kids mm-hmm. have moved into adulthood <laughs> So we should be a little careful. But yes, please uh, keep an eye out on our Instagram page, which is at Misconduct Pod. We'll sort of put out a feeler to gauge general interest. And if a lot of you are excited about it, then we can probably set it up. Also, if you are not in Bangalore, but you're still like, man, I want to show these guys some support. We mm-hmm. are on a lot of other platforms. Leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Leave the stars on Spotify. Leave comments on YouTube, and we shall look it up and feel like <laughs> you love us. You really love us. <laughs> you know, really, that's really how it makes us feel. Like it's yeah. like ugly crying on most days. <laughs> But yeah, we're also like I said earlier on Instagram at Misconduct Pod. Engage with us there separately from this true crime meetup as well. Let us know what you like about us, what you don't like about us. If you don't like something about us, be brief about it so you don't hurt our feelings. But if you like something about us, use a lot of words to say how much you like us. We enjoy that a lot. I mean, you can try and hurt our feelings. That's fine. Just you know, try, try. We know people. No, we don't know anyone. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anybody. I just know my cats. That's really it. We know we know the cats. Okay. Cool. <laughs> But we will see you on the next episode of Misconduct. <laughs>